as Republicans gather in, I, I think they're in both Charlotte, North Carolina, and Jacksonville, Florida, and really they're just about everywhere else right now because like so many uh, events, the conventions, we saw the DNC last week, I think it was just Tom Perez in Milwaukee, and then uh, everyone else was on uh, on Zoom, and then uh, we're, we're seeing Republicans try a little bit more in person in, in Charlotte, and I want to talk about none of the Republican elected officials, uh, with a few exceptions maybe, we'll get into some policies, but I do want to go to North Carolina and speak with the Attorney General because there are a lot of issues that start in these little incubators of democracy and then have effect wherever you are in this country. And two of them that are big on the radar for us is, is just thinking about this in terms of our politics. Of course, we've been following the, the case of the United States Postal Service. I do want to talk about all the issues that states are pushing back on for that. And of course, uh, some, some other big questions looming with the Affordable Care Act, some of that being pushed after the election. I'll get to all that in a minute. But I want to bring in Attorney General for the state of North Carolina, Josh Stein. Josh, thank you so much for spending time with me at the table. Jared, very much looking forward to our conversation. So am I. And, you know, this is a busy time for you, North Carolina, one of six states and D.C. where I am, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, California, Delaware, Maine, Massachusetts. You guys all filed suit. What was it just on Friday, three days ago, as we're having this conversation to push back on the Postal Service and the Trump administration's restrictions that they're trying to put in place? Can you tell me what you did, what you're trying to achieve and how that's going to affect your constituents? The Postal Service is just such a, a foundational and critical institution in our country. I mean, it dates back to independence. And it remains important today, particularly for a state like North Carolina, which has a very large rural population. It's, it's a lifeline. Small business absolutely depends on the Postal Service in order to, to succeed. North Carolina has a very large number of veterans and 80% of all medication the VA sends to vets go through the Postal Service. So in and of itself, it's critical. And then you factor in that we are in the middle of a pandemic where an unprecedented number of Americans, including North Carolinians, are going to vote by mail. And we've had a tenfold increase, Jared, in the number of requests for mail-in absentee ballots in 2020 as compared to 2016. And that, that number is just going to get more and more and more. And we have to defend the Postal Service, and that's exactly what our lawsuit is about, defending the post office. What are you concerned that the Trump administration, uh, Postmaster General DeJoy, what are you concerned that they are trying to do? There's the thing that we're all thinking about, and then there's actually what you're trying to achieve in law. And I know that talking to anybody with your background, uh, you know, a top-notch legal background, you can be a little bit more specific than just this kind of general sense of worry that I can't tell is just, is this just COVID and pandemic and me being in the house for the last six or seven months? Or that uh, or that maybe we're all, there, there's something specific here. What, what are you looking to achieve? Well, one alarm bell we got was a letter that the Postal Service sent to the state saying that they were not confident that they would be able to deliver in time ballots that complied with North Carolina law. So we got that. And then we've learned over the last few weeks of the dramatic and frankly radical restructuring that the Postmaster General has implemented, telling postal carriers to leave mail on the floor uh, before hitting the routes, to end their routes early without finishing delivery, substantially curtailing overtime dismantling sorting machines, removing boxes from the street, uh, all of which has really slowed 
mail delivery. And then, of course, the president says, I'm against extra funding for the post office because I don't want to facilitate absentee mail and voting. Right. And that's just wrong. And what we've done is gone to court to argue that the Postmaster General's changes failed to comply with the, the Postal Service law, that he needs to run his radical changes by the commission first, and it violates people's constitutional right to vote. So our requested relief of the court is really twofold. Stop the damage and then reverse it. Is this still a partisan effort? Because I know that the initial pass of states in D.C., you know, we're talking Democratic AGs, uh, the, the 21 expanded list that I saw uh, planning to to file suits. Uh, again, Democrats who are making this this push do do states with Republican attorneys general uh, not have old people who are whose mail uh, medicine is two weeks delayed? I, I just don't understand what's happening here. We do live in partisan times, Jared. That the, I have seen statements from Republican AGs expressing concern about the post office and expressing concern about the president's assault on the integrity of mail and absentee balloting. No Republican AG, to my knowledge, has filed a lawsuit. As to why they haven't, obviously, that's a conversation you need to have with them. <laughs> well, let me ask you, you've seen, I'm sure, at least some of what Congress is doing both in terms of legislation, we saw this passed by House Democrats uh, in the last few days. And of course, uh, the, the Postmaster General DeJoy is, is in front of congressional hearings and is going to be in front of a lot more congressional hearings, it looks like. Have you seen anything that's given you hope that this is going to get the way you want it to be in the next you know, 90 days, 70 days? Well, I, I'd say the one positive thing is that our lawsuit the vast public outrage and the congressional hearings has at least put a stop to the damage, or at least that's the representation. But DeJoy's representations are simply words on a page. Right. That's why I've gone to court. I don't trust his words on a page. I want a court order that ensures that no more damage is done and that all the damage he's done to date can be fixed. Let me ask you about the... Republican effort to dismantle the Affordable Care Act. We saw the Republicans, again, I'm thinking about this in the context of Charlotte just because this is in your backyard. And we should talk about, by the way, the uh, the reduced presence and how much that how much of a haggle that was. I'm guessing that wasn't entirely on your desk, but maybe you were <laughs> glad for that. Um, but I, I, I look at what we saw in this 50 bullet point, you know, PDF that came out last night and the, there's very little about healthcare in there. What they're not talking about is that there's still a legal effort being pursued by the Trump administration to dismantle the affordable care act, to take away Obamacare and to get rid of even the parts that people like, including protections for, pre-existing conditions, price protections, making sure that you're actually buying a product that's worth owning. Um, this is now something that we are expecting the Supreme Court to rule on after the election, mm -hmm. which sounds like a really bad idea to me. What are you concerned about for the people in your state, for North Carolinians who are affected by this, which is just about everybody, and for people especially who receive the benefits that come along with with this law that people have come to rely on over the last decade. The, the Affordable Care Act has made such an impactful difference on the lives 
of more than a million North Carolinians, actually many millions of North Carolinians. It, it's been literally a, a lifesaver. And it's not only the Trump administration, this litigation was actually begun by a number of Republican state AGs. And the Trump administration was supposed to defend the law. That's what the federal government does, is defend federal law. But a number of my Democratic AG colleagues and I, frankly, didn't have faith in the Justice Department's fidelity to its mission. So we intervened on the side of the ACA. And thank goodness that we did, because as we feared, the Trump administration abandoned its rightful defense and switched over to the other table and is now with the Republican AGs trying to eliminate the Affordable Care Act in its entirety. I'm talking about the entire law and every single protection it affords the people of America will be gone if their argument is upheld by the United States Supreme Court. Uh, so we had a, a loss at the trial court, a partial loss at the Fifth Circuit, and now it's at the U.S. Supreme Court. And we are going to do everything we've argued. Uh, we filed our briefs and the arguments are coming up, as you said, in the coming weeks. Uh, and we're going to do everything we can to, to defend the law. In North Carolina, we have more than 4 million North Carolinians who already have a pre-existing condition. Then let's just factor in COVID. There are 5 million Americans who have COVID. And we have no idea what the long-term health implications, neurological, uh, organ failure, any of these things, all of these could serve for as a reason why an insurance company would discriminate against somebody who has a pre-existing condition, either not offer them insurance at all or charge them some outrageous sum, which is what the world was like pre-Affordable Care Act. We have a million North Carolinians who have health insurance today who did not have it before the Affordable Care Act, either because they're getting their insurance through the exchange or they benefit from the subsidies of the ACA. They're working people. They can't afford their insurance, but the subsidies give them a boost enough that they can buy insurance. Uh, and we're one of the handful of states, sadly, Jared, that has not accepted the federal government's offer to expand Medicaid. Yeah. But at least that option is on the table. And if we get a new legislature here in North Carolina, we will jump at that chance. And that would be another 500,000 North Carolinians who could have health insurance. Seniors, we have over a million seniors whose prescription drugs are substantially more affordable because of the Affordable Care Act. Every single thing I just said is at risk of being gone. And if it is gone, it will have a devastating impact on the healthcare system in its entirety, such that even if you are blessed and you have insurance through your employer, that insurance is gonna go through the roof because there's gonna be all this new uncompensated care that the hospitals are gonna be burdened with that's gonna be paid, by, paid for by somebody. And that's gonna be you, me, and everyone else who has our own private health insurance. Josh, I don't mean to to add to the litany that you've described here, but you're not even factoring in the people who have lost their jobs and therefore their insurance through their employer because of COVID. I mean, this is not an insignificant number of people. If there was ever an argument to move away from employer-based coverage, it would seem like COVID would, would be that piece. Correct. In a pandemic, when so many people are sick and they need health coverage, the idea that Republican AGs and the Trump administration are trying to take away people's health care coverage uh, offends every sensibility I have. And so it, it is wrong, but it's also unlawful. It's a misreading uh, of the law. And that's why we're fighting so hard in the Supreme Court. I'm not a lawyer. I don't 
read legal tea leaves professionally, but I see the docket announcement that we got in the last few weeks from the Supreme Court that this would be resolved, but not until after the election. Am I... Is this just my my 2020 sense tingling on the back of my neck, or is there... Are you concerned that this is going to be worse because of the way the Supreme Court has has docketed it? I, again, maybe I'm too far into the weeds and I'm... I think it could go either way. Really? I mean, th- there are arguments why putting it off after the election could argue for it's being upheld. There are arguments why it would strike it down. I, I choose not to read those tea leaves, but rather focus on the strength of our legal arguments, which I think are massively better than the other sides. And so uh, I'm hopeful, but look, anytime you're in the Supreme Court and the consequence of the decision can affect whether 20 million Americans lose their health care coverage overnight and 140 million Americans with pre-existing condition face the prospect of having their rates dramatically hiked, you'd be crazy not to be scared. And I am scared, but we're going to fight hard to try to defend it. Let me ask you about education. This is something that uh, actually a listener, uh, Natalie, who works in education, she's in Charlotte, and she was uh, talking to me about this upcoming conversation. And she said, you have to ask him, the public university, I'm not talking about elementary school kids, but North Carolina has, of course, one of the the best public universities, uh, some of the best public universities in the country. And you've got a real mess on your hands when it comes to COVID spikes in these schools. Are you concerned? And I know this was something you worked on. Are you concerned that this was mishandled because of the way that the decision was delayed, that, that it wasn't firmer and sooner, that you got uh, some guidance to these colleges, these universities, and maybe even trickling that down to elementary, grammar schools, high schools, et cetera, to have a little bit firmer sense, knowing what we know now and even knowing what we knew a few months ago. Are you concerned that this was mishandled by you and by the governor? The governor in July um, issued guidance for the schools, uh, and he waited as long as he could until the point when he had to decide so that the planning could really go forth uh, and, and make make headway. And there were three options he was considering, A, B, and C. A was a full opening, C was a, a complete remote, and B was a hybrid, where you would have some in class, but with many, many protections. And what he decided was, is he took A off the table and decided to leave it up to each school system to choose between the hybridized model or pure virtual. And the vast majority of school systems were moving towards this hybridized model, including my daughter. My daughter's a high school junior here in Raleigh, and she's in the Wake County Public Schools, which is one of the largest public school systems in the country. And it just, the the numbers never got better. And at the last minute, Wake County made a decision to go pure virtual. So she's she's in the room behind me doing her schoolwork. Um, And... That's been the predominant decision statewide. More than 70% of the kids who are in public schools are doing it pure virtual. Now, I mentioned how North Carolina is a rural state. I I was just reading a a very uh, heartrending account of somebody who's in the mountains who there is zero Wi-Fi at their children's house. So they drive to some parking lot and try to hijack some store's Wi-Fi during the day in a car. I mean, it's just, this is so far from ideal 
Uh, and what upsets me is that it's so unnecessary that had we had a federal government, if we had an administration that acknowledged and took the seriousness of this crisis in February and methodically addressed it over the coming months, we could be in school today. Of course. Yeah. And we're not. And so I hate it for children. There are so many kids. In fact, you know, my daughter, she is fine. She's got Wi-Fi. She has whatever book she needs. She has the support she needs. She is going to get through this. Ideally, no, because all kids should benefit from socialization. She would learn more if she was in class. Like, this is far from my... Well, and I imagine if she's got a civics question, she can come to you. Like, that's that's not a bad thing to have. Well, she can tell me the answer. But my point <laughs> is, is that there's so many kids who don't have any of those advantages. And it, exactly. It's terrible. It's terrible. So, terrible situation. But their safety is paramount. We can't have them go to class if all they're going to do is get sick. And that's what we've yeah. seen at the universities. And the, the governor's executive order did not apply to the universities. That They have their own governance. And there was the board of governors, uh, which is appointed by our Republican legislature. And I believe that they applied too much pressure on the administration to reopen. And it, it ended up crashing and burning in front of their faces. Uh, and a lot of people ha have suffered as a consequence. So you don't think there's something that you or the or Governor Cooper could have done at this point to, I, I just I look at these public universities. You know, my alma mater. Uh, I'm a I'm a domer, so I I looked at you know Notre Dame opened and then eight days later they closed because there's nothing to do in South Bend if you're not you know going around and and I just you can't you can't have kids who you you, you can't trust anybody to do things perfectly, let alone. 18? I mean, we were all that young and dumb once, right? Well, I've, got, I've got two boys in college and I love them. I love them to death. They, they have, they're good. They've got good judgment, but they are 19 and they're 21. And all of their friends are 19 and 21. And so <laughs> what you say is real. I mean, kids are going to be kids, but we should, we should have, the administration should have known that. And frankly, the board of governors should have known that. And so uh, I think people's uh, dis, uh, upset is legitimate. Let me ask you about what's happening in Charlotte. I imagine, you know, I kind of alluded to this a few minutes ago. I imagine as a, as a person who's responsible for a lot of people's uh, safety and well-being, but also someone who's an elected Democrat and up for re-election, by the way, in November, uh, you're, you're not entirely upset not to have uh, thousands and thousands of Republicans uh, in your backyard at the moment for the Republican National Convention. No, no, actually the opposite. I, the, the Democratic City Council voted to accept and make a bid, and they made a bid for the convention and accept it. And it would have been a big boon for Charlotte business, the, our, our hotels, restaurants. So I'm all for that. Uh, but when the president demanded the assurances that he could have a, a packed auditorium with 18,000 people without masks back in uh, early summer. And the governor said, I can't give you that. I don't know what the world is going to be like. It sounded crazy well, then. And it sounds even crazier now. I mean, as you're saying it, I'm remembering it. And then Jacksonville said, uh, you know how we said you could do that? <laughs> it's really not going to work for us. And so I, I just thank goodness that our governor throughout this whole crisis has been steady consistent, science-based, and compassionate. 
And so he's making the best decision he can at every moment with the information available to him and the advice of experts. And that's all you can ask. That's all you can ask. Let me let me ask you one last question, Attorney General, and that's uh, you know just about the the work that you've been doing outside of COVID. This has taken up so much of our physical, emotional, and and mental bandwidth. And I imagine for someone like you, it's not like the other problems you were dealing with got pushed off your desk. So, what have you been working on? aside from these major issues and, and responding to an administration that seems like they've, they've got some, uh, uh, you know, countervailing priorities is the, the kindest way I can put it. What else are you working on? And again, I, I'm mentioning this in the context of, of you making your pitch to, to your constituents uh, in a few months as well. Uh, like so many people, you'll be up on the ballot in November. And I, I have to ask, what are you, what are you proud of that you've been able to work on? And what do you, and what do you feel like, uh, you know, we, we saw the president answer uh, what, what he would do with the second term. He's been getting this question now, this softball for five months uh, and saying and he hasn't gotten a good uh, response to it yet. What are you going to do with the second term? Hopefully you have a better answer than Donald Trump. Uh, well, we've been working very hard for these last three and a half years to, to protect the people of North Carolina in a lot of different ways. Most folks don't appreciate the range of issues an AG works on on criminal justice issues. North Carolina had more untested sexual assault kits than any state in the country. I identified the problem, did an accurate count, have, has raised uh, substantial millions to eliminate the backlog, and we have a tracking system to make sure it never develops again. That work is going to continue into the second term. Uh, criminal justice reform. I'm leading the governor's task force for racial equity and criminal justice here in North Carolina that was formed in the wake of killing of George Floyd and underscored now with the shooting of Mr. Jacob Blake. And uh, our criminal justice system does not meet the ideal that's chiseled on the face of the Supreme Court building, which is equal justice under law. It doesn't. At every level, blacks are treated worse than whites. And that's unacceptable. And we are working on a host of reforms to fix our criminal justice system. Uh, on consumer issues, protecting seniors from fraud. I put together a 51 attorney general coalition to negotiate with the largest phone companies to fight robocalls, which to you and me, Jared, are in a huge annoyance. But the reason they exist is to steal from very vulnerable people. Yeah. And we're making yeah. real progress on that. None of these things that I'm talking about, whether it's that consumer protection or making sure that drinking water is clean or that the air is clean or that we're effectively combating the climate crisis or the people's ability to vote however they want without fear and discrimination or being discriminated in any other way. These issues don't stop in a four-year cycle. All of them will continue into the second term. And I am committed to continuing to pursue and address this agenda all around trying to make people's lives better, protect people and keep them safe. I know I said one last question, but I've almost never told the truth when I've said that. Uh, I have one one final final, which is, you know, we've talked so much about different aspects of making it difficult or easier to vote. And we know that uh, we, we've seen from elected Republicans all over the country that there's a real pushback against some of these expansions of franchise and trying to make it easier for people. Of course, the president beats this issue like a drum. And I think about this in the context of everything we've talked about, whether it's COVID or the USPS. And I just have to ask you as the last point here, for the citizens in your in your state 
and for around the country, are you confident at this point that we are going to have an election that is free, fair, and and knowable, and and everything else that we're hoping for, or is this going to be something that is is going to be unpleasant and dragged out and potentially? Uh, I, I guess here's another way to put it: with your Secretary of State, are you guys are you guys assembling the legal team? Have you been doing this for the last year? Like, what's what are you, are you concerned? Are you con, are you confident? Where are you right now? Yeah, that, um, in North Carolina, it's a State Board of Elections as opposed to Secretary of State that does administration. Oh, excuse just, me. Just a technical point. I, I wish I could speak with certainty as it relates to the Georgias, the Floridas, the Texases, and how they're going to administer their elections. I just don't have insight into that, but I have excellent insight into the administration of elections in North Carolina. And I am very confident that the result, it may not be election night. And this is one thing everyone needs to caution. Yeah. Is thinking that they're going to know at 11 p.m. on election night. It may not be election night, but I am convinced that when the state board of elections certifies the result in North Carolina, that the person who has the most votes will be the actual winner. <laughs> and it, it is fundamental. What, what a low bar, but you, <laughs> we're confident that we can get across it. <laughs> but it, it's essential because that's no, how absolutely. it works. It's that we've had more peaceful transfers of power than any other nation in the history of the world. And that's because the losing side has accepted the validity of the result. And that's why it, it breaks my heart, the damage that the president is trying to do to our national commitment to the result. And, and But I can only control what I can do in North Carolina. North Carolinians can vote by mail, absentee, without any reason. You, all you have to do is express a preference. And if you do it today, on September 4th, that ballot will be mailed to you. We are the first state in the country that will be mailing out mail-in ballots. We have 17 days of early voting, Jared, including two weekends within those 17 days. And we will have all manner of health and safety precautions so people can do it safely. And then, of course, we have Election Day if people want to be a traditionalist and vote then. So however you want to vote in North Carolina, you will be able to do so. Just do it and do it early and know your vote will count. Well, I really appreciate the time and the expertise and also the the little bit of confidence. I think all of us need these reminders. I'm not asking for like a, you know, an affirmation, but it is it is helpful to hear someone with with your position speaking with a little bit of um, you know, what what is it? The the Wendell Holmes quote, you know, certitude, not the test of certainty, but I'll take a little certitude some days. It's it's like uh, it's like a good cup of coffee, you know? Uh, <laughs> Attorney General for the state of North Carolina, Josh Stein, thank you so much for spending some time with me at the table. Enjoy it, Jared.